Well, it's good to be with you this morning, and uh, giving thought to what I wanted to talk to you about today, <clears throat> I'm mindful, as you are, of what is constantly become, being covered on our TV screens. <clears throat> what was it, about eight weeks ago now that Russia invaded the Ukraine? And uh, the consequences of that uh, have really shaken our world, uh, not just uh, uh, the Ukrainian people, but also people around the world. It has uh, really affected our economy, the economies around the world. The death and devastation is, uh, is, is just uh, horrific. And, uh, you know, being an old guy now, Rod, I really am, uh, I think about my children and my grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and all of our uh, families, that we who uh, have extended families, and what will the world look like after we're no longer here? And that is, uh, that is sobering, to say the least. So, uh, you know, having been born in 1939 and having lived through the Second World War, and my first uh, uh, remembrances are of a little soldier suit on a little boy marching up and down the street fighting the Germans and the Japanese. That was Ron Williams when he was a little boy. And I can remember also uh, Korea. My cousins fought there. Uh, my uncles fought in the Second World War. And then I think of Vietnam. And uh, by that time, I was a youth pastor, a young pastor, and my colleagues were going off to war, and, and they died. Some of them died because of that war. So we've known war and, war and devastation. We know the effect that it has. And uh, <clears throat> that's a really a, kind of a down note to start a sermon with, isn't it? But I got good news for you. That was eight weeks, Those, this, this past eight weeks, the last couple of months, have really shaken our world. But I want to tell you that about 2,000 years ago, there were, eight, there were eight days and three events that eternally, both physically and spiritually in every way, turned our world upside down. You know what those events were. One we're celebrating today is Palm Sunday. And uh, we'll talk some more about that. And uh, there is an interrelationship between those three events. You really can't have one without the other. And then Friday, as Pastor announced, we will celebrate and honor Good Friday when our Savior bled and died. And then, praise God, one week from today, uh, up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. And he reigns forever over the dark domain. With his saints, he reigns. And so, hallelujah, Christ arose. So let's jump into the sermon this morning. And I'd like for you to open your Bibles, and it'll be on the screen up here. Uh, Matthew, uh, the 21st chapter. I want to read the first five verses, and then we'll dive right into the sermon. It says, uh, beginning in the first verse, by the way, look at this. Extra large print. Oh, that's nice. <clears throat> As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. 
Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with his colt beside. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place. Now, please note this. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's coat. Colt, one of the thoughts I have that I want you to take away is that uh, the thought of what Palm Sunday instills that's something like, uh, almost like concrete. It fixes something in our hearts. And um, if you'll note that uh, this is a prophetic quote from Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9. And in that context, uh, keep in mind that this was written probably uh, 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah, a prophet who had returned with the exiles from uh, the Babylonian captivity, inspired by the Spirit of the Lord, foresaw something that would happen in the future. And when you look at this text, uh, I want you to think of Palm Sunday uh, as uh, something that has its roots in the past. It has application in the present, but it also uh, has in mind something fantastic in the future. So Palm Sunday really is about the past, the present, and the future. And notice this, that our faith is made concrete, it's made steadfast, it's made sure because of the inspiration of Scripture. If the Bible is not inspired, we are a hopeless, helpless people. There is no real answer for our dilemma. There is no real answer for our sins. And how can we know that the Bible is trustworthy? Well, for one thing, we can count the number of times that the Old Testament is acknowledged and cited in the New Testament. We know that uh, 283 times citations from the Old Testament are made in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul cites it 90 times. Uh, the Lord Jesus himself cited it 78 times. All of the gospel writers, all of the letters of the New Testament are founded upon prophecy. Prophecy that was uh, uh, prophesied thousands of years before Christ, and it becomes the bedrock of our faith. Our Bible is absolutely reliable. Now, thinking about that, there's really three ways that we can know God. Psalm 19 tells us this, that the heavens declare his handiwork, that day unto day utter speech. And it likens the sun to a strong man who's running a circuit and showing forth the glory of the Lord. And then towards the end of that psalm, he says, let the meditations of my heart be upon God. Well, if we had only creation, if we had only meditation, we still can't know about the personality of God, who God is. Well, we could deduce from creation and through meditation that our God is mighty, that he's powerful, 
but we could not know that he is personal. It's only in the scriptures that we find that our God is personal. Now, there are two particular things that I want us to consider about the personality of God that makes him different uh, from us in the sense of his perfection. Uh, we, because we are in Christ, can live holy lives, but we cannot be as holy as God is as to his character and his moral perfection. He's otherly in that sense, but he makes himself personal and he shares his holiness with us, and that comes to us when we put our faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another thing we could not know about God, and that is the depth of his love. And I, I have a, a, a picture there. Can we put that up? I, now look at her. You know who that is? That's Addison. Addie is uh, our parking lot pastor, Todd Courtney, and his wife, Cheryl's granddaughter. She's the baby of Sam and Jake. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Samantha. I mean, to, uh, about uh, Addie. You can turn the lights on now. Uh, <clears throat> Eddie has come to see me about three times, and as many of you know, I've had my knee replaced, and it's been kind of a tough recovery. But uh, the uh, uh, Courtney's bring the little baby over, and it's kind of fun to watch the adults coo over the baby. I know, Jillian, what you're doing with yours right now, you proud mama. Anyway, <clears throat> they bring Addie over, and we have... Uh, uh, Cheryl and Todd, and then mom and dad, they show up, and Anita's there, and Anita loves babies. I, I like babies, but I'm kind of uh, stuck in my chair with my leg propped up. And so the baby comes in, and all the adults coo and make over the baby, and she's smiling, and she seems rather happy. She's about five months old, and just chubby and beautiful little girl. But at a certain point, something happens. She is dismayed. And you can coo and talk all you want, but she's not in a negotiating frame of mind. She wants her way, and she wants it now. So uh, they give her a bottle. That kind of calms her down a little bit, but not quite enough. And so somebody checks her diaper, and sure enough, there's more work that needs to be done. So they lay this baby down on a pad on the floor, and uh, they remove the diaper. Now, as you know, little babies sell, feel set free when you take the diaper off. So the little chubby legs are going like this. I'm sitting in my chair. I can't see all the action, but I can see five adults, five grown people on their knees surrounding this baby, talking about how wonderful she is. She is, she's a pain. You cannot negotiate with her. She has done nothing to earn their love. You know, she hasn't. She hasn't come to the rescue. She cost mom a lot of pain being born. And dad and mom are going to have to work the rest of their lives to take care of that child. So what is it about the baby? Well, it's not about the baby. It's what's in the parents' hearts. It's this incredible love that when that baby comes, no one teaches you to love that baby. You just do. And any sane, well-rounded adult 
looks at that little child, and they're just moved by the beauty of procreation and what God does. Now, can you imagine yourself and God? Can you imagine how you bring nothing to him? He has absolutely no need of you. In fact, you have dirty diapers. You're soiled by sin and shame and guilt and all of that. And he doesn't ask you to clean yourself up and come to him. He invites you to come just as you are. And he begins this marvelous work of renewal and restoration and cleansing. He washes you and cleanses you and makes you whole because of his great love for you. I am confident of this one thing, that never in this life will we ever fully uh, comprehend how great we, we are loved by God. I suppose it will only happen when we step on the other side, and then we see the glory of the Lord, and maybe to some measure we'll understand more fully the depth of his love. So keep that in mind that uh, Palm Sunday speaks to us about something that God instills, and that's the reliability of his word. And his word teaches us primarily about the holiness of God, uh, his righteousness, how we can have a relationship with him, and that we are children dearly beloved. Now, uh, let's read down a little farther in the text. First consideration is what has been instilled in us because of Palm Sunday. Second thought I want to share with you is what it inspires. And so beginning in the uh, uh, sixth verse, it says, the two, two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their uh, garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heavens. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowd replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Galilee. Uh, this thought of what Jesus inspires. He inspires in his faithful disciples wonder, worship, and praise. And that wonder and worship and praise grow out of the process of life. Now, I want you to think about these people. They were like you. They were like me. Uh, they had their ups and downs in life. Recently, I heard Rick Warren from Saddleback Church being interviewed. And uh, Rick is, uh, I think it says now, they say now that his book, The Purpose Driven Life, has sold more copies than any other Christian book in history. It's been uh, translated in so many different languages. And Rick has become just a senior statesman for the body of Christ. And he just has a gentle, friendly spirit. And as he was being interviewed, the, the host asked him, he says, well, we, we've been talking about the blessings of following the Lord. He, he says, I'm sure you've gone some, through some heartache. Would you like to share that? 
what has been the most difficult thing for you that you faced in your life? He says, well, if you would have asked me this uh, earlier, I would have said, well, it was when they discovered that my wife had cancer, Kay had cancer, and my children were small, and I just said, how in the world can I raise these children without, God, without my wife? And he said, that was devastating. He said, it was a hard thing to deal with. But God was gracious. And God uh, brought her through the cancer, and she's alive today. And uh, we still share life and ministry together. Then he said, we had a son. Our son, uh, as a child, was manically depressed. And uh, he... uh, we tried everything. We sent him to the best doctors, the best therapists, the best drugs, whatever we could do uh, to help our child. He grew up. And he said uh, he had a great love for Christ, and uh, he really cared about other people that were depressed and going through what he was going through. And uh, he had a, an online ministry and, and that. And he said, uh, but he said to me one day, he said, Dad, I just would love to be with the Lord. I just can't live this way. It's such a dark, dark, depressive world. And he said, uh, of course, we lived with fear of what he might do. So he came over one evening, and the family had shared games together, and he seemed happy. He went home. The following morning, Rick called, and there was no answer on the phone. So he and Kay drove to the house, and uh, the door was locked car was in the driveway, and they called uh, the emergency people, and they went in, and the son had taken his life. He said, that was the worst moment in my life. He said, it just, I didn't know what to do with it. He said, the emotions were so strong, and he said, I couldn't stop sobbing. And he says, for three or four months after that, he said, I was just devastated by that. But he says, as we were standing in the driveway, two things happened. He said, all of my life, I had thought that life was a series of up and downs, high days, low days, and that, and it was more like a roller coaster. And he said, my precious wife, Kay, looked at me, and she says, no, Rick, no, Rick, life runs on two rails, and there's not a day that goes by in life when there's not that Hosanna line. These people were experiencing some Hosanna moments there, uh, blessed be God who saves, Glory to God in the highest. And, you know, those high hallelujah, uh, hosanna days. But at the same time, that other rail can bleak, be bleak and dark and so much discouragement and so much despair. I can tell you from my household, particularly for Anita and I, since October to this very day has been probably the toughest period of our lives. Of course, we're pastor, we're old. And our bodies tell us all about it on a regular basis. Well, as you may have known, back in uh, uh, October, Anita was uh, diagnosed with lymphoma and went through the chemo and a bunch of things and uh, is still uh, recuperating from the treatment and then other things that have complicated her recovery. I had scheduled uh, the knee replacement for October, but we put that on hold because I realized I I needed to take her to appointments and such as that. Well, finally the day came, and on the 15th of February, I had this knee replaced. Surgery went fine. 
I was up and walking within about three hours after the surgery. But the complications of the surgery have been such that I've lost almost 20 pounds. I'm weak as anything. And, uh, you know, you keep waiting for strength to come back, but it doesn't come. But you know what I hear in the mornings? I hear my wife downstairs. That's where she has her devotional time. I have mine upstairs. I have a loft, and I like hanging out in there with the Lord, and I do my scripture reading, read my devotional books, and write little things to God and pray. And I'll hear Anita sing a hymn from her past. We were blessed because as children, we grew up in the churches that had not yet abandoned the hymn book. <laughs> and the theology that we learned was from the hymn book. I do not remember sermons that I heard. I don't even remember sermons that I've preached, and I've preached thousands of them. But boy, do I remember the hymns. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful is his great love for me. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory glory divine. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus is to me. Wonderful counselor, prince of peace. And we sing those songs and something rises in the heart. And even though you're on this rail of despair, there comes the rail of the Hosanna, and they come at the same time. And that's because there was a Palm Sunday. That's because God had this in his mind throughout eternity, that the king would come. The king would come. He's not here at this service. I suppose he'll be at the next. But I've known, uh, they, uh, no, Jesus is here. Got the wrong guy. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's here. Uh, there, there are two of us, aren't there? Yeah, I think two or more. We've got a promise there. Anyway, uh, Dave Florence has been a friend now for nearly 20 years. And if you know Dave, Dave's a, a big husky guy, full white beard, ex-Marine, ex-cop, and just looks fearsome. He's just such a big, massive man. And he's been coming to my Thursday morning Bible study now for, I suppose, 12 years or so. But David's got the most tender heart in all the world. And we'll be reading a psalm or from the scriptures. And Dave's kind of quiet, and then he speaks up. Now, when he speaks up, he, he talks a bit. But he cannot talk without his eyes just flowing with tears. And he often says, Jesus is my king. Jesus is my king. Jesus, my king. We dare not miss that in this text. Jesus is my king. But there's one more movement in the text I want us to consider, and let me read down a little bit. And it's so interesting when you read the four narratives. Now, this event is so important that all four gospel writers include it in their gospels. And uh, there's a little different spin on each one of these. In Luke's gospel, uh, immediately uh, he takes us to Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus says, oh, how often I would have gathered you like a mother hen under my wing, uh, that I, 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 I might comfort you, I might bring my life to you, but you didn't know the day of your visitation. You would have nothing to do with me. In this text, it takes us into the temple, and so we read this. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. 
he knocked over tables of the money changers and uh, 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 chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scripture declares, my temple we called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priest, the teachers of the religious law, saw these wonderful miracles, and they heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give praise. Then he returned to Bethany, uh, Bethany where he stayed, over, stayed overnight. He inspires, uh, Palm Sunday instills scripture. Palm Sunday inspires praise and worship. But also, Palm Sunday inspires passion. And people are passionate in, in, with, in two regards when it comes to Jesus. There are those who are passionately opposed to him, and there are those who passionately align themselves with him. Now, returning to the introduction this morning, and I don't know if you can see this or not, but there's another picture. Are you able to put that one up? Uh, you know who he is? Yeah, that's Vladimir Putin. Let me talk to you a little bit about Vladimir. Uh, the man that has basically discipled him, if you will, is the uh, patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church. It was his father that baptized Putin. Putin wears a cross around his neck. And they have pictures of him in front of icons and in a prayerful mode. The, arch, uh, the, uh, the uh, 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 patriarch's name uh, is uh, Carol, K-I-R-I-L-L, Carol, I guess is how you'd say that. And in the theology of that church, they believe it's kind of a manifest destiny that they own all that land that they once had goes back to, I guess, Peter the Great and some of the other czars. They also believe that this is kind of a holy place for God to come. And so it has a spiritual destiny to it. Now, contrast, if you will, what was going on in Jesus' day. You had the religious hierarchy, the high priests, the priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the lawyers, who all, who all were opposed to Jesus Christ with very few exceptions. He came to his own, and his own received them not. 2,000 years ago, uh, those folks perpetrated the greatest murder in all times, the worst murder of all times. They crucified the Prince of Glory. That same spirit is in those folks that have perpetrated the war in uh, Russia, in Ukraine. My first reaction was just such anger. I, I was willing to pay an assassin if I could find him. I could go take that man out. Uh, there's no compassion in my heart for him. Yet when I read this story, I read about the compassion of Christ, how he loved the unlovely, 
He loved the mass murderers. And that's so hard for me to take because I compare myself to them and say, I'm so much better than they are. But am I? Is not the same propensity for anger and violence in Ron Williams as is in them? The only difference is I've dialed mine down and they haven't dialed theirs down. And then I'm mindful of this guy that for 90 different times referred to the scriptures. His name was Saul of Tarsus who met Jesus one glorious day on the road to Damascus, blinded by the light, thrown face down before Jesus, was radically transformed, became one of the great spokesmen of the church. So when I look at this picture, I say, Lord, there's a lot you need to do in me if you're going to be king of my life. I'm not there yet. I'm on a work in progress. But come, Lord Jesus, be the king of my life. And so as I close this morning, I guess that's the invitation I want to leave with you. It's this. If you haven't yet, would you make Jesus the king of your life? If on the other hand, that's been an ongoing thing, but every, like everything else in life, it kind of whacks and wanes, and sometimes it needs renewal. Let me lead you in a prayer, if I could, this morning. And could we consecrate our lives afresh to our Lord and Savior, our King Jesus Christ? And so, Jesus, we bow before you. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget Gethsemane and thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. And, Lord, that is our prayer. We consecrate our lives to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.